Okay, so um, with happy hearts and attitudes adjusted, here we are for Writer's Retreat in September. And um, at what, what we're going to do with at least part of our time this evening is that Abby Taylor posted a brief essay that was from her blog to Writer's Retreat not too long ago, and it immediately sparked a memory in me. I knew that I had written many times about language, and honestly, memory being what it is, I didn't realize how it's good to know that my attitudes haven't changed over the years. Just about two hours ago, I went digging through my uh, computer archives for um, one of the columns that I was thinking of, and I found two. And um, I thought, boy, in a way, it, it's uh, well, it's, it's just tailor-made to be sort of a counterpoint to what Abby wrote, but mine was written almost 25 years ago. So let's, if Abby said she was willing to read her, so let's begin with that since that's what sparked the idea of talking about language. So are you ready? Yes, I am. All right. This is called, I'm a Disabled Writer. I'm taking a stand against so-called political correctness. Wait, excuse me, Abby. Someone is messing around, doing your dishes or, you know, cleaning out the horse barn or something there. And if you would mute yourself, I'd be really grateful. And only you know who you are. And clinking glasses. Maybe you're emptying a dishwasher. Oh, okay. that reminds me. I need to start mine, but I'll do it later. It sounds like you're training to be a, a bartender. So. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, sounds good. Okay. So, Abby, why don't All you right. okay. take it from I'll, I'll start over. I'll, I'm a disabled writer. I'm taking a stand against so-called political correctness. Recently, during a meeting of one of my writing group organizations, behind our eyes, we discussed the use of language writing. This got me thinking about how I've never liked the term people with disabilities. It's too wordy, like saying cats with blackness or cars, whiteness. We normally say black cats and white cars. So why not disabled people? Being disabled is part of who a person is. A cat isn't ashamed to be black, and a car isn't ashamed to be white. So people with physical or mental impairments should never be ashamed to be disabled people. That said, I'll no longer refer to writers with disability. I'll say disabled writers. Instead of telling people that I have a visual impairment, I'll say I'm visually impaired. It's a part of who I am, and I'm not ashamed of it. The end. So, 
Uh, as I said, I as soon as I read it, it you know sparked some pretty strong feelings in me, and I knew that I had written about language several times in the past. What I found today were two. Um, some of you may know I, I wrote a newspaper column on disability rights for 30 years, from 1986 to 2016. And I probably have several more examples, but what I found today were two from 1994. And I'm going to read them both and hope it's not too lengthy. And the reason I'm going to read them both is that I wrote one, and then a reader, a letter from a reader that I got sparked the other. So this is the first one that was published in May of 1994. People with disabilities are people first. There have always been people who are uneasy with the words that define disability. They will stammer around what they mean to say for fear of offending. It's okay to say blind. It's, a, it's okay to be blind. I already know, after all, about my visual loss, so why does this person think the word will cause shock or chagrin? Yet, it's good that a growing number of folks are aware that their words reflect attitudes and should be chosen with care. When it comes to disability, most of us are learning that old slurs are insulting. People with disabilities just want to be people, not patients or cripples or victims. People first language, as it is called, puts the person before the disability in written and spoken communication. We say, a boy who uses a wheelchair, a girl who has cerebral palsy, or a teacher who is hard of hearing. Simple rules avoid slurs. Put the person first. These are simple rules and afford some dignity to our largest minority. No one chooses to be quadriplegic, blind, or mentally retarded, which is interesting. We don't say that anymore, but this was 25 yeah. years ago. Right. <laughs> Uh, no one chooses to be quadriplegic, blind, or mentally retarded, and all people deserve, after all, to be viewed as people first. But in the spirit of political correctness, reference to disability has entered the realm of political comedy. I see articles and headlines referring to the physically challenged, special no. needs, and differently abled. A national newscaster recently referred to a group of children with developmental disabilities as physically inconvenienced. When I stop laughing, these silly explanations make me want to cry. What does this stuff mean, physically challenged? Everyone is physically challenged. My Aunt Mary, who has multiple sclerosis, is physically challenged when she has to walk with her cane. Special needs? Of course, kids with disabilities have special needs. So do kids without disabilities. Now that we are finally making some gains in terms of civil rights and social acceptance, these are the kinds of senseless expressions that can put us back a few decades. The truth is we don't have a right word or set of words for people with disabilities, but the least we can do is to communicate honestly. Sure, many people object to the word disability because it connotes deficiency or de defect, and some object to handicap, believing that it evokes pity. My sense of it is this. Disability is a word 
we have all come to understand as a limitation of an essential life activity, such as walking, seeing, hearing, breathing, or thinking. It's not a perfect word, but at least it conveys a meaning we all comprehend. Physically challenged and special needs and their growing host of clones communicate nothing but camouflage and shame. We don't need to waste a lot of time inventing silly new words to describe disabilities. What we need to change is how we feel about people who are mentally retarded or deaf or blind or who use wheelchairs, not how we talk about them. We need to see it as respectable, not shameful to have a disability and to evidence that respectability by opening openly acknowledging disability as one characteristic among many. When I sit at a conference table and a print memo is distributed, I don't think to myself, I can't read this because I'm visually inconvenienced. I'm frustrated <laughs> about, about the print. And I know that I can't read it because I'm blind. It's not a fact that makes me wince. It's just a fact. When a man says to me, I have a brother who is mentally retarded. I know he loves his brother, values him as a human being. When, on the other hand, a mother says to me, my son is differently able, I suspect that either she's ashamed of her kid or she's just not very smart. Say what you mean. Disabilities run the gamut in terms of their impact on daily life, from minor nuisance to significant and complex needs for assistance, but let's say what we mean and be unashamed to talk about disabilities. To say your child is cognitively challenged says nothing. To say she has dyslexia conveys clear meaning. Language is a direct reflection of attitude. If we have any real intention of integrating people with disabilities as equal members of society, then we need to talk about disabilities with clarity, not absurd euphemisms. Um, so that was one, and, and I apologize for the length, but um, so what happened was what I found this morning, or this afternoon when I went looking for it, was that um, uh, I wrote that in May, and then apparently um, a reader wrote to me asking for my advice about language. And so what was happening, well, it ex I explain in this column, and this was six months later. So I don't know what happened that it took me so long. But um, so the headline on this is, you can call me writer. No matter how much everyone cares about truth, accuracy, language, and attitudes, Mistakes are inevitable in a large daily newspaper. That's my basic response to the question received recently from Robin Wells, a Sycamore High School teacher. It's an honest explanation, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, Ellis, I, I can't, the, the, this was a scanned copy and some of the words are missing. As I think it's, but it doesn't make me feel any better. Wells illustrates that she is a long uh, that she is a long time follower of this column when she writes 
I too believe in person first, disability second language. She then asks, I'm wondering though, if you want to be identified as a blind writer, as in your column, or a writer who is blind. So I'm gonna give you guys the backstory. The truth is that the tagline had been running on the bottom of my column for a couple months. Deborah Kendrick is a blind is a blind writer who lives in Cincinnati and is a national advocate for people with disabilities. I didn't know it said that because I can't read print, right? So I didn't know. <laughs> so, okay, so she wrote to ask me about it. I repeat, no one's perfect, not editors and certainly not columnists who fail to notice what's written about them in print. My tagline is supposed to read, a Cincinnati writer who is blind. It was erroneous, erroneously changed at some point to read a blind Cincinnati writer. I definitely identify myself first and foremost as a writer, a writer who happens to be blind. I definitely do not identify myself as a blind writer. A blind writer, it would seem to me, would be someone who writes exclusively about blindness or about shelters for duck hunters. And even more <laughs> thank you. An even more offensive possibility, a blind writer could be construed to be someone whose prose is perpetually devoid of insight, clarity, or awareness. Applying one of the many definitions of the word blind to this epithet, a blind writer might also <laughs> There's stuff from the scanning. Um, oh, crud. Where does it go? Where does it go? Um, uh, okay, there's some words missing. Um, with education, let's see, something affecting disabilities. It is, a, it is a language style that is sometimes awkward. Oh, I must be talking about person-first language. <coughs> it is a language style that is sometimes awkward, which is what Abby pointed out, it's like clunky, but is pure in the simple premise that a person is a person first, not a disability, and that by putting the person before the disability, we dis diminish somewhat the historical prejudice that prevents us from seeing people with disabilities for their core humanity. It is perfectly acceptable to say that President Roosevelt was paralyzed, that Itzhak Perlman is a, is a violinist who wears braces, or that Shirley Temple is a former actress who survived breast cancer. I, in other words, am not ashamed to be identified as a person who is blind. My disability is part of who I am. It is also part of what qualifies me to write this column but only part. The other more significant qualification is that I am a writer who, by virtue of a writer's talent and training, can gather information, read situations, interpret human nature, and express ideas. Disability terms carry a variety of connotations, but blind takes the prize for the greatest abundance of negative inferences. Blind faith, blind trust, and blind loyalty are all phrases embedded in our language that are used as colorful substitutes for ignorance. 
blind, blind spots are points of total unawareness. Blind alleys are time wasters and blind dates often uh, are often synonyms with undesirable losers. <laughs> Wells asks, how do I wish to be identified as a writer? Not a short writer or a tall writer, not a black writer or a white writer, not a Catholic or Hindu writer, not even a mom writer. And yet when it's relevant to what I have to say, a writer who is blind is also appropriate. On a lighter note, if anyone is absolutely driven to put an adjective before the W word, award-winning is accurate, <laughs> but I wouldn't object to insightful or even brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I like so, that. <laughs> so, um, so let's let's talk about it. You know, do we want to be blind writers, disabled writers? What, let's let's talk. What do you think? I well, have an observation. Go ahead, Bill. I think one of the things that confuses us the entire way is that English language handles possession and identification. So, for instance, to say I am called you know, subconsciously we're identifying with that. But for instance, in Spanish, you would say, tengo frío. Literally, I have the cold. Wait, say those and words so, again. In Spanish, it would mean what? Tengo, tengo frío. Okay. Literally, I have the cold. Okay. Instead of I am called, we're, we're expecting things yeah, that, that. that we're uncomfortable because either the room temperature or the weather is too old and they're making us feel uncomfortable. But but the but the but the way we 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 use that I am to mean to mean I am sensing that or I possess. And sometimes it can, can get confused with, with identification, like the same thing as saying, I am a man, even if subconsciously it has that effect on us. Whereas, in, for instance, in other languages, possession and identification, as I use my example from Spanish, can be handled differently in English, even though we may be talking about the same thing. So as a person who is woefully deficient in languages, I only speak one. In Spanish, would you say, would the, would the direct translation of Spanish be, I have blindness rather than I am blind? It could be. I, I only know a little bit of Spanish. I wouldn't consider myself fluent, but that very well could be. Yeah, I, I took Spanish years ago, and I remember that's how they that's how they said I am cold or I'm hot. It was actually I have cold or I have hot or I have sickness. That that's just how their language that is. The they don't use am. So that's that's, a, that's am. interesting right there to me because that makes me think that we're just catching up. You know that maybe other languages have done it correctly 
or closer to correctly, and we're, I we're catching the, up. The, uh, Deborah, I think the um, the have verb in Spanish is used for a temporary state. Um, okay. I, I have cold. I have hot. Oh. Uh, okay. I have hunger. It's something okay. that is temporary. Okay. Oh, okay. Because I have blindness doesn't make sense. Yeah. You would say, okay. I think you would say, now I, I don't speak a whole lot of Spanish either, but I think you would say, estoy ciega. I am blind because it's, you know. It's, okay. Yeah, that would make more sense, actually. Yeah, well, it's a good yeah. good question to ask. I have a couple of friends who are very fluent in Spanish, so I'm going to, uh, and one of them's a writer, so I'm, I'm going to see if I can get more. Good. Come back with the answer. That would be helpful. Yeah, I will. I will, yeah. So, right so other thoughts. What are, what are other people thinking? I'm sorry, Deborah. This is Ann Harrison-Barnes. Um, I would say a writer with a disability because, like you said, the person first. I know that's clunky, but to say that the, a disabled writer, that could mean also that you write about disability. I, I meant to bring with me, and I forgot, um, Brad from the Writer's Party Line list, I guess wrote to Abby, and then he copied me later on it when he saw that we were going to talk about this. And his comments were so good, and they were along the lines of, of my thinking here that, you know, he said, to, to say you're a disabled writer sounds like your writing is disabled, which it certainly is not. And I concur. Abby, your writing is not disabled. <laughs> you are a fine writer. <laughs> that's, that's true, but I was thinking writing about disability would be another... And I could be wrong, but I was thinking writing about disability would be another way to look at it. Well, a disability author would be more somebody who would write about disability. Right. But disabled yeah. is actually the an adjective that modifies the noun writer. Yeah, but it still has negative connotations there. Well, not, not if we don't that. want to. What, Bill? <clears throat> this is Annie. Pay on payoff, but of course, this, oh depends on what the person that's hearing or reading it thinks, not necessarily what you meant to say. This is Annie? Yeah, Annie. Hi. Um, I was listening to everybody, and uh, this reminded me of a personal experience I had right out of um, grad school. I got a job in an independent living center as a coordinator for a program, and uh, I had to learn person-first language. And the reason why it came up was because I wrote my article for our newsletter, and I used the word disabled. And I was called into the executive director's office and said, and he said, you, you, you can't do that. I said, but it's, uh. gra it's grammatically correct. And he said, I understand that, but we are people first. We are people with yeah. disabilities. Huh. And uh, I, I, I was like, okay. Um, and then um, he made me um, learn all about Justin Dart and um, all of the people um, with physical disabilities who, um, you know, who pretty much put themselves on the steps of um, Washington and crawled up to get there. You know, I mean, he really, 
he really made me watch all of the really uncomfortable, um, <laughs> uh, you know, stuff oh, yeah. and made me read everything. And, and um, Ed, um, what's his name? Ed. Jeff uh, Moyer's another um, one, too. Yeah, yeah. He, he, they made me, you know, I read their bios and I, and I listened to a lot of it. So from that point forward, um, I'm a writer first. And if I have to identify myself, I'm a writer with a disability or a writer who is blind. And I will yeah. always be grateful to Mel Kantman for, um, for uh, you know, uh, educating me on that. So and that's, but that's so, just. Yeah. Thank you, Annie, because to, I, sure. I didn't know how much to get into historical stuff, but it's important. So. Actually, you know, if you know, not everybody's going to be interested in reading about the history of the disability rights movement. But if you do, there are those who think that it all began in about 1970 with a bunch of quadriplegics in Berkeley who um, wonderfully fought their way out of being in like a hospital model and being part of the campus life. Mm -hmm. And and that is a, that is where many people identify the origin of the disability rights movement occurring, but, but the reality is disability right. rights began with blind people 30 years before that. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and so, so, and, and, and happily over time, it At took time, but over before. time they've merged, you know, so we're kind of each group is kind of adopting a little from the other, but I would, the, the reason for the, so the, the people first, and by the way, where I was coming from writing this newspaper column, initially, in, in adopting People First Language, personally, I didn't care so much, but mm -hmm. it was, I was writing a column, you know, that was read by a couple million people every Sunday, and this was a big movement nationwide, this People First thing, and mm -hmm. so, you know, it was, it was important for me to respect that and support that. But I think we as blind people, we come from a different place. We don't, it, it was, there were so many offensive words, you know, calling people cripples and mongoloids and spastics, all those really ugly words. So they had a lot more at stake um, than we, you know, we've got the whole, the whole blind thing with blind meaning all these bad things, you know. Blind meaning stupid and ignorant and, mm -hmm. you know, not going anywhere. But as blind people, we've never really had a problem with calling ourselves blind. <laughs> so, um, but, but, but that said, I think it, it makes sense, even though it's longer and clunkier to say, you know, like I, I wrote in this second column, I don't want to be a blind writer. I want to be, I mean... I'm a writer who can write about anything you give me, and and I happen to be blind, and and I think you know, it, it's, it's um, but you know I think I think you know for anybody who's interested in reading, there are a lot of really fine books about the history of disability rights that uh, Joe Shapiro's No Pity, and then before that. Um, NFB and ACB each have books of history about their organizations, which are lengthy, but interesting reading. I went through advocacy training. That's how I know a lot about That's why I was able to throw out Jeff Moyer's name, too, because 
he did recordings with some of Justin Dart's speeches in some of his um in some of his music and one of his songs was Do You See Me as an Equal? And that's why <laughs> a lot of He's advocacy of- groups Partners in Policymaking is one I don't know if it's everywhere, but I know in Georgia well there's it's all over in different states, but I know in Georgia that's what I did. And he's a big people first. Who is that talking about Jeff? Who are you? Ann Harrison Barnes. Oh hi. Jeff is one of my oldest and dearest friends. He was one of my first loves, actually. Um yeah. <laughs> and I had his email a long time ago because he was at one of our a part of well not for our partners in policy making uh uh, sessions. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, that's how I know Jeff. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a great guy. He's actually, I haven't seen it yet, but he's just recently finished a memoir. So I'm really eager really? to see it. But cool. Yeah, yeah. But um, he's, he's a fine musician. And, and yeah, he, he, is. he is one of the few blind people who was on the front line with all the um, wheelchair using people in the disability rights movement back in the 70s. So he's he's made a huge contribution. I think he yeah. helped to implement TASH. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know about IDEA, but I don't know about the IDEA movement, the, the mm-hmm. what is it, educate, what is it, individuals with disability, was it individuals with disabilities education act or something like that? That's right. That's right. I think yeah. that was later, but the movement in the seventies, of course, the first thing that led to was the rehab act of seventy three. Right, mm. and then Tash was born not long after that. I don't think. I, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm a, don't quote me on my dates, but Tash right. was born. So, well, we're going far afield though. Let's let's come yeah, back no. and talk Sorry. about words. Let's talk about words. Because there are some people who haven't weighed in at all. So, Alan dropped out. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Mary, you haven't weighed in. Right. I've, um, but I have. I have two contributions to make. One um, might open another whole can of worms, but <laughs> so good. Uh, there's a quote that I that I like to use that blindness is a part of who I am, but it's not the definition of my life. And mm-hmm. I try to live by that. Um, the other um, point that I wanted to raise was that I just detest being lumped into a category, the blind. Um, and I think, um, you know, it just seems ironic that the American Council of the Blind and the National Federation of the Blind, um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yes. probably share my sentiments, but it would be probably way too hard to change their names. But I, I don't like the homeless, the blind, the deaf, um, and so on. And I'm really careful. I really like people first language. Um, I think that is very important. And it, yes, it may take up a little bit more room on the page, but I think it really, it puts the emphasis on the person and not the disability. And I believe that when you call yourself disabled, um, it 
it's a connotation of being broken, and I don't I don't like that. That's what so that's I agree. My, that's my two cents. I agree with that. Thanks. And don't call me differently abled either. <laughs> um, for heaven's sake, I think Deborah brought oh up gosh. a really good. That was a really good part of your column, Deborah. When you know all these silly things, you know, one that I don't think you mentioned was a handicapable. I mean, oh, well, I hate that too. I remember that one. People get really creative in trying to come up with the euphemisms, and it's it's demeaning, too. Um, Back. You know, trying trying to to dance around it. You know, I've had people say, well, I didn't want to say anything, but I thought you were blind. Well, hello. <laughs> I knew I was blind. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, think, I, in, I think. In, uh, in 1990, I think it was, um, one of my colleagues at the Cincinnati Enquirer sent me a note attached to this announcement that she had just gotten that this foundation was going to give a $50,000 prize. Now, this was 1990, so that's probably equivalent to 500000 today. They were going to give a $50,000 prize to the person who could come up with a new word to describe the disabled. And Sue wrote on her note to me, I think you and I should brainstorm and split the prize. And I just, <laughs> I just cracked up. I thought it was so funny. I just thought it was so stupid. It's so stupid, right? And guess what yeah. won? Differently able. Somebody, I don't know who, I've, mm. who, the foundation was called the Christina Foundation, and the person who came up with differently able got 50,000 bucks. Like, oh, how God. wrong is that? Really? Uh, how differently <laughs> able, whether we have a disability or not, people. Not y'all, I mean, just in general. That, that's, yeah. that, that, that irritates the daylights out of me. I yeah. think that um, one of the things that, for me at least, illustrates how important person-first language is, is, and it and it has to do with not only the way you describe other people, but the way you see yourself. Um, I had a student once who was doing an assignment for me because he had to do it anyway because he wanted season hockey tickets <laughs> oh, uh, for the, the Rochester Amherst. Okay. And um, I'm just going to call him X because, you know, because of privacy and so forth. Right. This particular student um, started writing and it was an exercise in class, so I was standing behind his computer chair, and he was writing on uh, on a computer. And the first thing he writes is, my name is X, and I am totally blind. And this was, you know, a note about, you know, paying for his season hockey tickets. And I stopped him. And I turned him around on the on the swivel chair to face me. And I said, now, X, I have a question for you. How do you see yourself? Are you blind, X, or are you X who is blind? And 
he paused and he said, well, uh, I, I guess I'm X was blind. And I said, yes, you are. And I went on to tell him that the Amrix box office does not care if you are blind, sighted, deaf, hard of hearing, or have blue hair. All they want is their money for the season hockey tickets. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with blindness unless you're requesting a certain seat in the stadium or something like that. So I said, now get rid of that line because yes. you are X who is writing to the Amherst to get hockey tickets. <laughs> and he wrote the letter and it was fine after that. But it really brought home to me that some people uh, have a self view where they are blind Y or blind Z or whatever their name is instead of Y or Z or P or whatever, who is blind. And I think that that is where you've got to start. And by using person-first language, you kind of get people to think, you know, that maybe the disability, whatever it is, is only one of many aspects of the person that we're talking about. So, Ann, did that guy get the tickets? Oh, yeah, he got his tickets. <laughs> yeah, he got his tickets. <laughs> but it was, well, it, was one of those, it was one of those teachable moments, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's great. And what that great. reminds me of, that first time of that statement, it reminds me of the 12-step program where throughout the thing, I name it, when I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it could be viewed sort of like that, but um, being an alcoholic would be one aspect of one's personality. Yeah, Sometimes. it would be. I'm sorry. So if you say my name is, you know, if I were, thank God I'm not, but if I were, you know, I would say my name is Anne and I'm an alcoholic. Um but that would only be part of who I am. Right. And the reason they do that is, of course, to get the person to take ownership of their circumstances. Right. Right. So it's kind of in a different box than being blind. I think, I think um, you know, for those of us who grew up blind, I can remember... Um, when, and part of this probably had to do with how I was raised when I didn't want people to know. And, and, and that was very definitely part of how I was raised because my parents kind of raised me to fake it and to pretend I could see, which was ridiculous. Um, but, and to, you know, act sighted. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I credit, I, I, grew up and finally met some other blind people and had blind friends. And I realized that, you know, that was really dumb. And, you know, I guess in a certain sense, you know, I'm proud to be blind. So coming back to, you know, I think the spirit in which Abby writes, I'm a disabled writer, the intent 
is to say, I'm proud of who I am. And, and I think that's something that I would like to see all of us share and embrace, you know, to be proud of who we are and what we can accomplish. But I think, you know, what we're kicking around here is the order in which we put those words, because um, to my mind, it gives, it gives disabled bigger font than writer. And that's not, I think the way we want to see ourselves. So Abby, since your piece kind of kicked this off, I want to hear what you're thinking right now. What's going around? Well, I am thinking that, you know, I don't see myself as visually impaired Abby. I see myself as Abby Taylor. However, if it needs to be known that I am visually impaired, then I will say so. Uh, like, for example, in my bios, when I submit works to Magnets and Liars or any other publications or on my blog, it says I'm visually impaired and I cared for my totally blind and part my totally blind late husband who was partially paralyzed as a result of two strokes. Because I want people to know that you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a feat being a caregiver, but try being a caregiver when you're visually impaired. And right. so that's, you know, in that context, I will mention the visually impaired, but I don't always think of myself that way. But if I have to mention it, then by golly, I'm going to use visually impaired or disabled to modify myself. Right, right. It's a part of who I am. It's a it's a tricky it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because, um, you know, like I get what you're saying because what you did is more of a feat because of disability that made it more dazzling. And in the same way, you know, Mary's whole book that that she published is it's not just the you know the bumpy road to, to getting your parent into assisted living, right. but doing it because you're blind and you can't yeah. just zip all over town. And it's interesting, you know, it's something I'm struggling with. I think I'm not sure if I did or not, but I know I have a, a, a chunk of what started out to be kind of fictional nonfiction. And I kind of started thinking maybe it could grow into a novel that I think I shared with this group in one of our first meetings. And um, my struggle with it, honestly, has been in the part that I wrote, the protagonist is not blind. And I realized a, a huge part of what makes the story so poignant is that in real life, the protagonist was me and I am blind and that made so much of it more challenging. So. I, I get that that you're saying, you know, that you want, but I I think to think about word order is important because um, because Abby, your writing is not disabled. No, <laughs> and I don't consider it disabled. I'm yeah. only using okay. disabled to modify the word writer. It it modifies the person and not the writing. So this, this is Alan. Can I say something real quick? Sure. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I, I'm a reader, not a writer, but it just so happens I, I finished a book today that, that, that has some of this, uh, this language and people first language, 
in it. I mean, really? the the name of the book is The Rosie Result. Uh, I mean, it, it, it it's a novel and, and it's oh. and it's supposed to be comedic, but the the main yeah. character the main character has uh, autism, but uh, it, it's really they're really they're really very well done because the the, the main character is always addressing things very literally and, and and ticking off this that and the other and everything. But in in this book, he and his wife have a son who who uh, the school that he's in thinks that that he may be you know on the autism spectrum and stuff. So they get into a lot of issues, but. One of the things they bring out in the book, at least more than one time, they have meetings where people are sitting around discussing this stuff, is they do not want to be referred to as being autistic. They're a person who has autism. So, mm-hmm. that, that, I mean, that, that's spot on to what we're yeah. discussing here. And I just thought that was, that was very well done in the book and stuff. So, uh, uh, but uh, anyway, that's, that's my two cents. But it's, it's, well, so, Alan, it, I think you're newer to blindness and visual impairment. I mean, you're not brand new by any stretch, but you're newer than some of us here. Right. So, you know, what's your own feeling about language? You say you're, you're a reader, not a writer, but do you, you know, how, how do you define yourself? Well, you know, uh, I, I would say I'm somebody with a visual impairment probably. Uh, but you know, I, I, I don't think about it too much. Uh, I, it's different. I mean, I, I, I've been sighted most of my life and stuff. So I've only recently started losing my vision, you know, started in 2000. Well, maybe that's not so recent anymore, but, uh, uh, it, I'm just so aware that this, this people first language, it is so critical though. And, 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 and I'm sorry, I hate to say this, but I think the sighted world, I mean, they're real good about adopting fashion trends and stuff like that. But sometimes they're just not real good at thinking things through a lot of times it seems like, or, uh, and I know I'm being, I'm, I'm hitting a broad brush stroke with, with people in general. Cause, uh, sometimes I think people don't exercise nearly as much brains as they've got, but, uh, uh, they, and, you know, <laughs> good way but, but, I, but I think, I, I think it is good though, that, that we keep stressing this, this people first language because, I mean, you, people are so much more than whatever kind of things they might be afflicted with. So, you know, just to, to label somebody as, as this and that and the other and stuff, it just, it's, it's, it's just poor, it, it, it's just poor taste. And it's, 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 you know, if you think about it, it it's, uh, I mean, it's like the people in the book, you know, I, 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 I'm not just autistic. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm a lot more than that, so it's uh, uh, it, it's definitely the, the language that that's important. We're, we're not the only group that that's dealing with this stuff and that that, that doesn't want to be labeled like this. So, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I tend to get. I mean, cause I can still move around without a cane and stuff. I can see enough not to run into people and stuff. At least now, but. Uh, 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 so I, you know, and, and not not that that matters. I, I, I'm quick to tell people, you know, I, I I can't see, I can't see your face. I don't know what you look like. It's because I mean, people people make assumptions, and I mean, the sighted world makes assumptions because they they see you doing certain things, and they 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 make assumptions that that you're able to do things. And so I try to I try to correct that, and I just say, look, I can't I can't see very well. I can't I don't know what you look like and stuff, but. Uh, 
that that's how I deal with it. If I think they're going to be making an assumption about me, that's not correct. But, uh, uh so yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I wanted to mention yeah, that book good. because, it, yeah, because the book, the book, the books, the you. books, the books are very enjoyable. If anybody wants to read them they're they're by uh, an Australian writer named Graham Sinchin. It's the road, the Rosie project, the Rosie effect and the Rosie result are all on board. So, Thanks for I'm that. glad you mentioned it because I read yeah. those first two and I, I really yeah. enjoyed them and I, I've got the yeah. third one on my wish list. But yeah. listening to you, I, I, I thought of something else that, you know, again, I wrote this column for so many years. It's, you know, some stuff is kind of fuzzy in my head. But what I realized is um, my tagline didn't say anything about blindness for a very long time. I, I would guess that it was about a year that blind was even in there. Because I remember having a big powwow. I think one of the reasons it was in there was at the time that it got in there, I had an editor who was a real bewitch, as my kids used to say. Um, and she didn't, she didn't like me. And I think she was jealous of me. Um, and so she, she wrote really crappy headlines, you know, Columnists don't write their own headlines. Other people do. And she always wrote really stupid headlines on my columns that made me think, did you read it, you idiot? Anyway, but she was the one who had the tagline, and then she had to adjust it because of that letter from a reader and what I wrote. So she had to change it to a writer who is blind. But over time, I got rid of the blind altogether, and it was in part because I said to her, um, William Raspberry was a favorite columnist of mine at the time. He wrote for the New York Times. I don't know if he's still around. I think he died. Anyway, he was black. And I said, mm -hmm. nobody would think about putting at the end of William Raspberry's column, William Raspberry is a black writer or a writer who is black. Right. You know, right. it's just right. irrelevant. And so I just thought about that a minute ago because I thought, okay, you know, I, I don't know you all here. I can't see you. So if I offend anybody with the, the example I'm going to choose, you know, send it away. But, you know, if you're fat, you want to be identified as a fat writer? You know? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Seriously. Okay. So, Bill, Bill, you got kind of a southern accent. You're from Florida. You want to be identified as a redneck writer? I'm just throwing it out there to kind of stir things up and get people to think about it a little bit, but you know, why would you want to be a blind writer or disabled writer any more than you'd want to be a fat writer or, you know, black writer or hillbilly writer? <laughs> oh, Deborah? It's Mary. Um, I just thought of another um, thing that I, it always catches my ear and it offends my ear is that people say suffer from blindness or they're a victim oh, yeah. of blindness, yeah. or con <sighs> this is the one that really gets a lot of writers confined to a wheelchair. Yeah. And I'm sure you didn't put that in your book, Abby, but, you know, it's um, a wheelchair enables right. a person. Yeah. They're not confined. Well, yeah, 
They That's spend, the you know, a lot, some people spend, what? I guess technically it could be combined, but it's back to back and the side. No. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, in, you know, uses, and, and Deborah mentioned this earlier, I think it was in your column, you, a person who uses a wheelchair. Who uses a wheelchair. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But that you know, one, it's really I, common, that confined to a wheelchair. It, it is. Like, you still hear that one. And, you know, I objected to it in theory and in solidarity for many years. But in 2016, when I broke my femur and, you know, for several days, I, you know, so I, I, you know, went to the, and the ambulance came and I went to the emergency room and I had eight hour surgery or whatever. And then I couldn't get out of bed for some days and then I could get out of bed, but I was anyway in a wheelchair. And then the first day that that physical therapist took me out into the hallway and, you know, told me to test my wheels and te- like, you know, try driving the wheelchair down the hall. I was like zipping down that hall and I was laughing my head off. I was cracking up. It was like, I was so happy. And she said, oh my gosh, I've never seen anybody respond to getting a wheelchair this way. And I said, I'm free, I'm free. I've been locked up in that room. And I thought, I get it. I get it now in a really personal way why they are so offended by confined because a wheelchair it's like a white cane or a guide dog to us you know Mm -hmm. wheelchair enabled wheelchair enabled is what it ought to be yeah Yeah, that's what Mm -hmm. exactly you know what i do when i get on when when i get on the paratransit bus and the driver will say well i have a wheelchair inside I will always oh, yeah. turn to them and say, you mean you have a person in a wheelchair inside? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, always ask, I, I always ask the lift line drivers. They do the same thing to me. And I said, what? You mean you're, you're uh, transporting furniture now? <laughs> I didn't know you were transporting. A lot of the drivers, now. now they'll say, there's someone in a wheelchair inside. And I'll say, thank yeah. you. Yeah. That's really yeah, it's, it's all well, and I don't. I think they're you know they're in, they're kind of rushed and they don't even think you know they they probably I don't think they're doing it on purpose. Some of them aren't trained properly no. either. Well, that could that's be too. part of it. Yeah, and it's part. Of, I mean, I think it's my civic responsibility if I'm going to go on that bus and say hello Absolutely. to that person. They're a person first. They're not just a wheelchair. You know. Well, and, and, and you know the drivers your... need to know that. Right, that's my too. You know, as a person who is out there saying I am a writer, that's saying I'm an expert on language, I'm promoting language. So it's it's part of your responsibility in that way too, I think. I mean I I think that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. You gotta put it. It makes a difference. It does. Yeah. Excuse me. What I was going to say was when I was on Greyhound years ago, they don't do this now, but if you filled out the ADA form that made sure that ensured that you got that front seat and you got on that bus and off that bus and they made sure they used to say, we've got this ADA on here. We got these ADAs like we were acting <laughs> on the people. Oh, call me in, but late for dinner. 
Don't call me. Don't call me an act. Don't call me my disability. We got this blind girl on here. Really? <laughs> well, that's you know that's better than AD and ADA. I yeah. Suppose. Yeah. The blind yeah. girl has a name. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, they might not know what your name is. That's just it. And you know, unless you're wearing a name tag or something. Because I well, I've noticed. That, yeah. I was just gonna say if the if if it's a bus driver and they look at the ticket, then my name's on the ticket. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, I yeah, that's that. just being lazy. It's been years since I've taken a bus, a Greyhound. <laughs> you got people. You got sighted. And no offense to to anybody with vision, or, uh, uh, you know, with with residual vision or what kind of vision you got, but you got sighted people out there who are lazy. <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to talking about people with disabilities, they 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 think you're an outcast because you try to tell them you have a visual impairment. You ask a question if something's excessive. Well, this is not to do with language, but you ask a question if if a certain thing is accessible or whatever, and they act like they don't they don't they don't see your question, they don't hear you, they don't it's like they don't care. Well, and I think whether we like it or not, um, any of us who have disabilities, whether it's blindness or something else. If we're going to live out there in the world and not be hermits in our little holes, um, we have a responsibility to correct those kinds of wrongs. You know, I, I mean, I love that. I have a wheelchair on board. You mean you have a person in a wheelchair or, you know, I have an ADA. You mean me? Cause I'm a person, you know, I don't know what an ADA is, but. It's the name of a law. It's also the American Dental Association. I don't know. The American Diabetes Association. That's right. So, anyway, I mean, I, I no, it just really makes me happy to hear that. Oh, Deborah, I have to go. Wait, Bill, thank you. Bill, I've got to, yeah. I've got to leave. Okay, Bye, everybody. It's after yeah, seven o'clock anyway, so. I think yeah, I need it to is. wrap up anyway. It is exactly right on time. You must have like a built-in alarm clock. <laughs> um, anyway, so I don't know about the rest of you, but I have really enjoyed this. And um, that was great. And, it's yeah. been fun. And yeah, it's been interesting. It's been, it's been very, yeah. very uh, lively discussion because. That's one of them, that's that's a hot button among people among those of us with disabilities. Well, yeah, and I think it's you know we're writers. We need to think about words and how we right. use them. Mm -hmm. And um, right. anyway, yeah. so thanks for, let, one, thanks one for letting me crash your party. Hey, you can crash anytime, Alan. We, we need readers. Good night, everybody. We'll be writers without readers. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. One okay. thing before we go. Okay, Ann. Shoot. Just. Just think about the fact that for centuries, in fact, eons, blind people or people who are blind have been the culture keepers for humanity. And if you think about that, it really puts an interesting spin on things because there were blind bards for as long ago as we've counted history and blind storytellers and blind medicine men and yeah. um, so forth. So we really are in a, a, a unique position among
persons with disabilities. That's because good. we have been in the forefront of culture keeping. And whether we're writing or we're disseminating culture orally, we are doing that. And we have a long and illustrious history behind us. Good night, everybody. Good That's night. That's wonderful, Anne. Thank, Thank you. you. That, that, that was a that wonderful was, ending. It was a good meeting. Yeah. Thank you all. You guys right. need to check out Molly Burke's book, It's Not What It Looks Like on Audible. <laughs> Talk to you all next month. Do you get Audible, Alan? Yes, I get Audible. Okay, it, it was an Audible original from um, last month. I don't know if you can go back and get it now, but it's an Audible original. It's called It's Not What It Looks Like. She tells the story of how she lost her sight when she was 14. And she addresses a lot of these issues that we're talking about. Okay. Who, 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 do you remember the author's name? Molly Burke. Oh, Molly Burke. Okay. Yeah, it's she's the big. She's like, the YouTube. Yeah. yeah, she's the she's the, the 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 YouTuber that does a lot of not not only hair and makeup, but she's done a lot of stuff with like Shane Dawson and quite a few other. She was on the. She did a Dove commercial on TV. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll go, back, um, I, I, I'll go back and try to try to find that. So. Uh, yeah, you're gonna want to do that because I'm telling you. And she talks about how people on the news will congratulate people with disabilities for doing everyday things. And that, that irritates her. And it, I've never heard it, but if I did, it would irritate me too. Well, I guess we better get off of here.